Good evening. It is great to be with you, great to be a part of things here. Uh, thankful for uh, this congregation, the leadership, the vision, uh, the opportunity to have uh, this workshop here. I know that uh, I was telling uh, Hiram a few moments ago before, uh, before we started that I've uh, been seeing the, the advertisements and the booths for, uh, for the Equip Workshop all over the place, especially all over the state of Tennessee, uh, at CYC and at Lazar Leaders, uh, has been uh, promoted very well. Uh, very, very thankful for the uh, desire to study and share the Word of God, to strengthen the body and share the message with others. What a blessing that is. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for having that vision, and thank you for being here. Um, as we look this weekend at the book of James... We're going to start tonight, our assignment tonight is look at James chapter 1, verse 1. And so if you go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of James, we're going to talk about this man, James, because of what it says right here in James 1, 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now we're just going to focus on that first part, where he says, I'm James... And I'm identifying myself this way. I am a servant of God, and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he identifies himself. Now, what we've been tasked with considering is that he's making a change, as you can see on the, the slide before you, that he goes from being a skeptic to being a believer. So we're going to focus our few moments here tonight on this idea. We're going to focus on the idea of change. Because I think that one of the things that we're seeking to get out of this weekend, as we study from the book of James, we're seeing what the Lord has to tell us from uh, these different things here, is that we're seeking to grow. We're seeking to mature. We're seeking to get better. And so part of what that means is we want to change. You've come together tonight. You've come into this place. And you're looking forward to this weekend. You've said, you've made the admission, I'm not where I want to be. I need to grow. I need to improve. I need to be more like Jesus. I need to, to know more about Jesus. And so I want to change. And so I think that this is a good place for us to start. We can think about this man, James, and the, the change that he went through, the growth that he went through. Because the book of James is one of those things, and we love this book, right? It's, I don't know, if I took a poll of the different uh, churches across the congregation, what's the book you've studied in more Bible classes than any other James is probably right up there. It's one of the most often studied because it's so great. It's so rich. There's so many things like the workshops called practical Christianity. James is so practical. So many things that you and I can look at, turn to right now, say, whew, I need to fix that. I need to change that. I need to change my tongue. I need to change the way that I view other people, the way I treat other. I need to change those things. And the book of James helps us do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to see about how this book is practical, how this book is relevant, how this book helps us by looking at who wrote the book. Who is this guy who calls himself uh, the one who is the uh, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, where do I point this? Down here, up there? It's not moving anything. There it is. There's one. Okay. Hiram, what do I point it at, man? Just advance it once, if you would. I'm not going to point at anything. We're not gonna, there's not that many slides. 
wasn't that great anyway. It's just going to say this. There it is. <laughs> it's this quote right here. Because this is what we want to answer. Who is this guy that identifies himself as the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this designation, here's what I want you to grasp onto. Here's what I want you to, to wrestle with for a minute. This designation is especially meaningful when we realize who it is that's saying it. When we realize where it is that he's come from. When we realize just how he used to feel, but the way he feels now in making this admission, that I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus. Now, we're familiar with lots of different guys in the, in the New Testament named James. Uh, we know the brothers, James and John, the son of Zebedee, but, but this guy's different. This guy's not that guy. This guy is actually the brother of Jesus. The one who identifies himself here as James, the author of this book. This is the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? All the things that, that he went through, all the things that he saw. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Referring to Jesus, the people of Nazareth said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? The brother of Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters are here with us. They said, This Jesus, this is the brother of James. And then Galatians chapter 1 at verse 19. Speaking of an important trip he took to Jerusalem, Paul says this, I saw James, the Lord's brother. Obviously, this man, James, is in a unique position. But that didn't mean his life was easy. That doesn't mean that his faith came without a struggle. He had numerous challenges to overcome. He had several impediments to his faith that he had to, to navigate and, and get through. Put simply, this James, the brother of Jesus, had to grow. He had to grow. His faith had to grow. And so James is a great example as we consider the necessity of change and how important it is. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin with what James used to think about Jesus. Go to the next slide, please. What is it that James used to think? Where was he before? What was it that was on his mind when he contemplated and thought about his brother? What did he think? Well, when we first are introduced to this guy, it's, it's not good. We'll put it this way. At first, he was absolutely not a believer. Here's, here's some passages to think through to see how he had to be persuaded, how he had to be convinced. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. His family hears, and this is what the family hears, the family hears that Jesus is drawing huge crowds, that people are coming from all over to, to sit at the feet of Jesus, try and get close to Jesus, try to touch Jesus. People are coming from everywhere to be around Jesus. And it says, they went out to seize him. They went out to go get him. Get him out of the public eye. Because here's what the family was saying. Here's what James and the others were saying. He's out of his mind. He's crazy. We've got to go get him before he says something else that embarrasses us. Go get him before he says something else that's so off the wall. Go get him before he says something that, that might cause him to be considered a blasphemer. Go get him to stop. They thought he was out of his mind. In Mark chapter 6, at verse 4, Jesus would say, listen to these words from Jesus himself, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. 
In other words, when I'm around my family right now, when I'm around James and the others, I got no honor. They're not understanding who I am. They're not seeking to be a disciple. They, they give me no honor here. And then the most, the clearest one of all, John chapter 7 at verse 5. In John chapter 7, the way it begins, it's another feast time, another festival time. And Jesus' brothers are picking at him. You know, like brothers are, are wont to do. If you're so special, why don't, you, why don't you make it known? Why don't you do something special? Because, you know, if you're really that special, you shouldn't keep it hidden. And then it says point blank in John chapter 7, verse 5, his brothers did not believe in him. That's in, that include, includes James. So for many years, James was just like so many others. He refused to listen. He refused to incline his heart. He refused to submit to Jesus. He was a scoffer. And like we said a moment ago, he was probably embarrassed by several of the things that Jesus would be saying. But then when things change, so we go from reading about this guy who it says plainly, his brothers don't believe. His brothers think he's crazy. But then we're going to start reading something that's so different from that. Look with me in the, uh, the book of Acts, maybe turn into about Acts chapter 1. And we're going to see here that in Acts 1, you, you know the account, you know the history. The church, as we get into Acts 1 and Acts 2, the, the church is about to explode. They've been told, as it's recorded in, at the end of Luke 24, Jesus had told the disciples, go into Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the power, wait for the sign. And so as we look here in Acts chapter 1, look at verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. Now what they're doing is they're waiting. They're waiting on the Lord to produce that sign that he told them to wait for. But look who's there. Look who's in this upper room. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Could it be that, that James is in that, that room with them as well? Go over to Acts chapter 12. We know. Look at Acts 12. Once Peter had been miraculously freed from prison, Peter goes to the people and he tells them, he says, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then you go forward just a little bit more into Acts 15. And this time in Acts 15, about verses 13 through 21, we see James appearing in a, a rather influential position among the brethren in Jerusalem. In fact, when Paul was referring to to this man, James, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, James is a pillar of the church. He's made a pretty big change, has he not? He's gone from being one who was embarrassed. He's gone from being one who tried to silence Jesus to being one who now stands on the front lines and is so such a stalwart that Paul says, this is a pillar in the church here. My question to you is, what changed? What changed? What made him go from, from skeptic to believer? And better yet, what made him go from skeptic to leader? Let me ask you this question. I think this is probably the best question of all. What made James go from calling his brother crazy to calling him Lord? What was the difference? What happened? 
What changed? Go to the next slide, please. I'm convinced that what changed was a combination of things. It's obviously that the the key event, the singular event, was the resurrection. The fact that, that James is introduced to and sees the risen Jesus. But I think you need to see the the big picture, the full formula this way. Resurrection plus the righteous life caused people like James to see this is the Son of God. James saw the risen Jesus. He knew that Jesus was a righteous man. And these two facts put together turned the whole world upside down for James. Read with me. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to read this familiar passage, but I think it is uh, at the heart of what we're trying to think about tonight here, the change that James makes. 1 Corinthians 15, if you'd read with me beginning at verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve. He appeared more to to more than 500. It says, most of those 500 are, they're still with us. A few have fallen asleep, but most of those 500 are still here. You can go ask them. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all to me. He appeared to James, the crucified, humiliated, beaten Lord. Three days after his execution, after he was dead, appears to James. Now, obviously, this is a game-changing event. This is one of those, if you're in an apologetics class, which if you haven't ever had one, I highly encourage it. This is one of those events, one of those key pieces of evidence that demonstrate not only was the resurrection a real event in history, but that Jesus was the Lord of of all. This is one of those historical proofs for the resurrection. Jesus died, and even the non-biblical scholars agree to this man named Jesus of Nazareth being executed between 26 and 36 AD by the Romans. They all admit it. Jesus died, and he was buried. But then, after three days, for some reason, the tomb was found empty. What do you do with that? Well, if you're a non-believer, if you're a hater, if you're a skeptic, you say, well, the disciples came and stole the body. Because you've got to do something with the fact that the tomb is empty. I cannot admit that he's divine, So we'll just tell everybody the disciples came and stole the body. Even though we had a a contingent of Roman soldiers guarding the place, even though we'd done everything that there was to do to keep it sealed, to keep it protected, to keep it guarded, somehow this band of fishermen came and stole the body right up from under the nose of paid soldiers. Well, that's the story they were telling. But we know that's not right. We know that Jesus died, Jesus was buried. After three days, that tomb was found empty. And then people like the apostles... They're now going around telling the entire world that they have seen and been with and touched and eaten with Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't steal the body. 
They didn't make up some story. They saw Jesus. And it changed everything. Meeting the risen Jesus changes everything. It changed everything for Paul. Look at Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26, those times when Paul tells the, the story of him meeting the risen Lord. Meeting the risen Jesus is what turned cowardly apostles. And I, I can say cowardly apostles because what they do when the enemy came, the Bible says, they scattered. They scattered. But these cowards, these ones who ran away at one point, later we find, like look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts 4.13, the officials, now they look at these guys and say, these guys are bold. They're, look how bold they are. They're ignorant. They must have been with Jesus. Look at how bold they're preaching. And you keep going there in Acts 4, and they make those statements about, we have to say, we can only say those things that we've seen and heard. Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. In other words, the point is this. They went from cowards to being world beaters, not being afraid of anything, standing in front of anyone saying that Jesus is alive. Why would they do that? Because they met the risen Jesus. Others, but listen, it's not just about being raised, is it? There's something more to it than just being raised, right? Because we can read of other people being raised from the dead. John 11, Lazarus, he was raised from the dead. Nobody accused him of being the Messiah. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. Nobody accused her of being the Messiah. Elijah and Elisha, they both raised young men back to life. Nobody accused them of being the Messiah. He said there was something different and special about Jesus. He made certain predictions, did he not? We can look in places like uh, Matthew 16, 21 or Matthew 17, 22. Jesus would say it again and again. The feeling that I get from reading the text, especially in Matthew, is that Jesus must have said this quite regularly. Fellas, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to execute me. They're going to treat me shamefully. They're going to bury me. But in three days, I'll be back. He must have said that a number of times. It's recorded several times there just in Matthew. And so Jesus had made this prediction in order to connect who he was and what he was saying with the eternal plan, the scheme of redemption, the plan of salvation that God had given. And so... It was the predictions made by the prophets going back to, uh, to David and the others and the predictions that Jesus was making. And when you take those predictions made by Jesus, along with the sinless and righteous life, the perfect life lived by Jesus, because here's, here's something that I want to emphasize, and this is something I have to sort of speak from as a father, not as a child, because unfortunately for this point, I'm an only child. So this, this one point maybe loses a little steam when I say this. But I've watched three boys. You know what your siblings know? They know what you've done. They know how bad you are. They know how many lies you've told. They know. So if your brother ever said, guess what? I'm divine. Your reaction is going to be, wait a minute. Remember all those times? Remember all those years? Remember all those things you did? Remember all those things you said? I'm calling you on this. James, in his recollection, looking back on the years spent with Jesus, he can't think of one single time. He's never once seen his brother commit a single sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. In every respect... 
Jesus has been tempted like as we yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, it starts this way. He committed no sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. This is the persuasive power of the righteous life. This changed James. Because he could look back and remember all the, the opportunities Jesus had to fail. All the opportunities Jesus had to stick it to someone, to lie to someone, to cheat someone, to just do one thing, and he never did. Jesus had made bold claims. You know what this late leads up to, right? That when Jesus says, here's what's going to happen in the future, and here's why it's going to happen, because here's who I am, and here's who God the Father is. When James looks back and sees, you know, he is somebody I can trust. He is somebody who, who's only done that which is right, and here he's conquered the grave. He said he was coming back. He said he was going to fulfill the plan of God. He said. Jesus had made these bold claims and had lived a sinless life, and now he conquered death. What could James possibly do but call him Lord? We may not have the, the blessing that Thomas had. Remember, Thomas was, was one of those that he needed to see. He needed to touch and see and feel and, and hear the, the words of Jesus. He needed to be there with him. And in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas does finally see Jesus, you recall what it is he says, right? When Thomas sees Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. Seeing the risen Jesus caused Thomas to say, my Lord and my God. For you and for me, we may not be able to, to see Jesus the way James did, to see Jesus the way Thomas did. But it makes sense to me now. It makes sense to me why James identifies himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ instead of saying, James, the brother of Jesus. Isn't that more important? Because he's emphasizing what matters most. He had finally learned his lesson. Go back, go back to Mark 3. We mentioned Mark 3 a few moments ago. I want you to go back to Mark 3. This time in particular, look at verses 31 to 35. Mark 3, 31 to 35. Now here's what we're doing right now for this one particular moment. We're thinking through, why is it when James introduces this book to us, why does he say, James the servant of the Lord Jesus, not James the brother of Jesus? Remember, others had identified him as the brother of Jesus. Paul said, I met James, the Lord's brother. Others had said that. I met the Lord's brother, James, right here. Why didn't he say that? I'm the... It would be kind of hard not to brag about that, wouldn't it? Jesus is a brother. Who are you? I grew up with him. You barely know him. See, that's a fleshly, earthly, shallow way of thinking. And James grew past that. Now, he had tried to use that tactic. There in Mark 3, he tried to use that tactic. His whole family did. Remember Mark 3, about verse 31, the crowd is gathered around him, and this is in that time where they're trying to get Jesus to stop, stop him before he says something else embarrassing to the family. And they send word in through the crowd, your mother and your brothers are here. In other words, they're going to play that, that trump card. Your family's here, you better come out. Remember what Jesus said? He kind of 
whoever obeys the will of the Father, there's my brother and my sisters and my mother. Whoever obeys the will of God, that's who's my brother. And so James has learned his lesson. Once upon a time, he tried to barge in on the strength of his physical bond. But it's only those who join Jesus through serving the Father who are truly brothers, as it were. And that's why we can celebrate that and we can call one another brother and sister in Christ. Being Jesus' earthly brother, listen to me when I say this, being Jesus' earthly brother did not save James. Being submissive to, being obedient to Jesus as Lord is what saved James. And that's true for you and me right here, right now. Being submissive to, being obedient to the plan of Jesus the Christ is what saves us as well. Now, there's several things. If you're looking there at the book of James, there's, there's several things, and we won't take the time to sort of you know, talk about these tonight. Lord willing, this is what will be covered in the, the classes on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. But I want to highlight a couple of things for you that as you look through the book of James, there's places where James is challenging all of us to make certain changes. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There's the challenge to, to go from being timid and unsure and sort of waffling and vacillating back and forth and changing, leaving that behind and becoming someone who is firmly rooted and grounded in the truth. Someone who's stable. Someone who's confident. Not in your own genius, not in your own strength, but in the reality of the risen Lord who we serve. That's the kind of change, kind of change James made. Became one who was absolutely now powerful, firm, ready to stand before anyone and say, I know that this Jesus is Lord. Chapter 1, verse 5, the movement from being ignorant to being wise. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 10, the move from being prideful to being humble. Chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, the change from being self-absorbed to being self-aware. I need to recognize that I'm not eternal. I won't be here forever. Life is short, all those things. Then chapter 5, about verse 13, the change from being sick to being healed. When we meet the risen Jesus, everything about us should change. The church should become so precious to us, so precious that we want to spend time like this together, giving up Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays in order to, to study and fellowship and be part of the church and, and strengthen the church. It should become so precious to us. We care so much about it. We want it to be strong today and strong tomorrow. We become people who are champions of, of peace. We've become people who are, are peacemakers and healers and bridge builders rather than people of destruction and pain and heartache. I'm thinking of, of Paul. That's one of the changes made in his life, was it not, after he met the risen Lord? He was kicking indoors and terrorizing people and becomes one who can speak of uh, living at peace with all those who live at peace with you. The very direction of our lives should change. The things that we once thought were important, we come to realize weren't that significant. The, the places we thought we were going, we recognize those are the wrong places, and now we have a, a new destiny, a new destination. There is persuasive power in a changed life. 
Remember, we said a moment ago that when it came to Jesus, that there was this persuasive power in the righteous life of Jesus. Well, what he is instructing us and showing us is that for you and for me, we're never going to be sinless. We're never going to be perfect. In fact, in First John chapter 1, he tells us several times, verse 8, verse 10, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. You've got to recognize the sin. But here's the deal. You can absolutely live a changed life. Just like the persuasive power of the righteous life of Jesus helps people for you and for me when they see a change in us, when they see us go from being selfish to being selfless, when they see us go from being consumed with the things of the world material to being generous and kind and and liberal with what we give, the change in us will cause people to recognize there's a persuasive power in a changed life. Like I said, it's what happened with Paul. Look in Acts chapter 9. Look there about Acts 9, about verse 26. And this is the guy that they didn't want anything to do with. They didn't want to be around him. They knew his reputation. They were scared of him. But then very soon, Acts 9 down about verse 31, after they've let Paul come in and after they've let Paul talk a little bit, it says that everybody now was really enjoying this. Everybody now was encouraged. Everybody now was was motivated and excited that here we have this one with us on our team now teaching the truth of Jesus Christ. His life was changed, and it excited them. It it infused life into the church. That's what happened with James. Acts chapter 15, verse 31. Acts 15, 31. This is after that time that he's, you know, James has been there with him. What are we going to do with the whole deal with the law of Moses and all this? And he gives his decision. He gives his word on what they should do. They collaborate. But it says there in Acts 15, 31, that they were then encouraged by the message that was shared. This is what should happen with us. We may not see Jesus, like we said, just the way James did. But I want you to look at this. Go to John chapter 20. Go to John 20. John 20, read with me verses 29 and following. John 20, 29. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You and I, just like Thomas, just like James, just like Paul, you and I should come to know and love and appreciate the risen Jesus. And once we do, everything about us should change. James changed after seeing and believing in the risen Jesus. So much so that he stopped describing himself as Jesus' brother And he described himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus. It is absolutely necessary that we change. It is absolutely necessary that we help others to change. James understood this. James was inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to help others, people just like us, to change. He went from being a skeptic 
one who didn't believe and teased and poked and prodded and was even sometimes embarrassed by the things Jesus said. Is it the case that maybe there's some times that you're embarrassed? Embarrassed of some of the things that the Bible clearly teaches because so many of the people around us don't hold to the same convictions. I know, I know that some of you are. I know that many are. And part of the reason why we have to be here tonight and encourage you tonight is to stay strong. Keep teaching the truth. Keep believing the truth. Keep living the truth. Because it's not going to change. The world might change around us. The world might start saying unusual, strange things around us. And it might get to the point where we feel outnumbered. You cannot change. You must continue to stand strong and stand where the Lord Jesus has stood. It may have been the case that James was embarrassed at times, that he was concerned at times, but he came to understand standing with and for Jesus is what matters more than anything else. Maybe you need to be more prayerful. Maybe you need to spend more time devoted to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you need to to be more trusting. Maybe you need to be praying the type of prayer that says, Lord, help me to embrace your will. Be trusting. Maybe it's the case that you need to be a peacemaker. Maybe it's the case that you need to be more forgiving. Maybe it's the case that you need to better control your tongue. Maybe you need to be more thoughtful and more kind with your words. The book of James speaks to all of these ideas. We all know, we know we need to change. Let us ask the Lord for help. We need to rely on his strength and on his wisdom. And we're going to use this this great book of James. We're going to use this weekend to start making some of those necessary changes. We plead with the Lord to give us wisdom. We plead with the Lord to to cleanse our hands and help us be single-minded. We plead with the Lord to, to raise us up and to forgive us. We plead with the Lord. Lord, help us change in a way that fits you. Help us change to be more like you. Help us change to be more like your your brother James, who was your servant and recognized you as Lord in all things. Lord, help us to be like that. Thank you.